Welcome to the Real Estate Masters Podcast, a podcast with top real estate agents sharing insights of how they've grown their business. Every guest is unique and serves different markets, so you will find value in each and every episode. And now our host, executive coach, April Mack. Well, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you subscribing and sharing with your friends. We are loving all of the good feedback that we're getting. Today on this episode, I'm interviewing Haley Turner. She's from Cleveland, Ohio. She's with the Howard Hanna in the Lakewood offices out of a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. She is in Howard Hanna's Champion Club. She's one of Cleveland's top realtors, named that in 2018, 2019, and also for 2020. Those names just came out. She has been given the National Sales Excellence Award as one of in the top 3% of realtors in the country. You are going to love only 27 years old, this beautiful, spirited Haley Turner out of Cleveland. I can't wait for you to hear all that Haley has to share with us today. So without further ado, here we go. Here is Haley Turner. Haley, thanks so much for being with me today. I'm so excited that you're here. So tell us a little bit about who is Haley Turner? Sure, of course. So I am a realtor in Lakewood, Ohio. I'm based out of our Lakewood office. So I focus primarily on west side of Cleveland suburbs, downtown, sort of the urban markets there. But then, you know, as any agent, I kind of go all over the place in the Cleveland market. I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary in September, I guess. So yeah, it's interesting after being in it for almost three years, I've definitely noticed sort of a a shift in my business over the past six to 12 months. Everyone says once you get into it, after three years, things really start to pick up. And I've definitely noticed that to be true. But yeah, I do it full time. And I love my job. I It's been a really great career path for me. So really, you've only been in three years, and yet you've been named to be a top 3% of realtors in the nation. So that's a pretty incredible for only three years. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of just, when I got into it, I I was previously working in fashion merchandising. And so I ended my job in that field. And I had always kind of been interested in real estate, but I wasn't really sure how to make it work. So I sort of just went in doing it full time and it was sink or swim. And I managed to be able to make it work. <laughs> That's awesome. So how, what did you do to really get your business jump started? Well, the first six months were really hard. I mean, anybody who gets into real estate will tell you that when I'm meeting with new agents, people who are either new in the business or wanting to get their real estate license, I typically tell people like have six months of savings, which, you know, is not always the easiest thing to do when you're trying to get into a new career. But I definitely like didn't make money at first. So I just made sure like I had enough saved up when I got into the business and I kind of just allowed myself to be uncomfortable for a little bit um, because I knew eventually the business would come. My biggest thing was make myself recognizable, ha- have people associate me with real estate. So a lot of what I did was with social media. I have an Instagram page that I use. And so just posting on that. And my goal is basically to have people... When they think real estate, think my face, my name. And um, that's, like I said, the past year is really what kind of has started to happen. And that was really my goal because I don't, now I don't really need to do advertising. I kind of, everything sort of just turned into like referrals and word of mouth, which is really nice. But when I started that obviously wasn't the case. So I was 
doing a lot of open houses, a lot on Instagram. And luckily for me, I started when I was 24. I started when I was young enough that almost everybody my age or in my personal sphere didn't own a house. And so I was lucky because I was able to kind of capitalize on a lot of first-time homebuyers who didn't necessarily know another agent. Mm, wow. And so, yeah, I'm glad you said how old you are because that is incredible. You're 27 years old and have this amazing career. And I just find it fascinating. What do you feel like are some of your biggest challenges? I mean, obviously, we've just had our first run of quarantine. You know, now we're talking about a, a second wave coming through. And so, I mean, I'm sure that's a challenge. But, and if you want to talk about that, that's fine. But I mean, even if it's beyond that, what do you feel like are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? Well, it's funny because actually the quarantine wasn't so much a challenge for me during it. It's actually been the aftermath that's been more of a challenge because you have, you know, people who want to list and people who want to buy who sort of were at a standstill for, you know, one to two months. The last month of quarantine, I had a lot more clients starting to kind of be like, okay, we need to move. Like we're moving for work. We have a new job. We're having a baby. There's reasons why people have to move. So actually I've found the biggest challenge has been after the past like three or four weeks, I've been so busy. It's actually been a challenge to (laughs) to really manage everything. So that's been my biggest thing. And and I feel really blessed to have enough business to have this problem. I mean, it sounds kind of like I don't want to complain about being busy because it's amazing and I love it. But figuring out how to manage what my business has turned into has proven to be kind of difficult. It's a learning experience. I'm the type of person I tend to take on like more than I can handle. I never say no. I like to help everybody and I love what I do. So it's very difficult for me sometimes to like pass something off to somebody, another agent in my office or somebody who, who helps me. That's been a challenge for me is realizing, you know, I love what I do. I, I want to help every single person, but I also have a personal life and, you know, I have things I enjoy doing and sometimes you have to know where your limit is. And so that's kind of what I've been learning the past month is you know what, how much is enough and when do I need to start bringing somebody on to help me? And and that's kind of like where things are, are leading. Um, you know, teams are a really big thing in real estate. That's kind of something I have my eye on right now. But learning like, okay, where is my limit? Where When am I at capacity with the amount of clients I can take on? And how can I help somebody else develop as an agent by passing on work, but also like continuing to grow my business and not necessarily like losing out on the on the benefits of having additional clients. So for me that's like been the biggest thing is how how to manage everything. And not right. not go crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, it, it, the interesting concept in real estate is, you know, do do you work solo, do you work as a team yeah. and which you know, it's interesting and, and fascinating. And, and so you'll have to listen to some of the other podcast yeah. episodes that I have, because as I interview some teams and hear how some of them function, you know, it's always interesting. And of course, mm-hmm. each, you know, everything has its own set of problems and its own assets and liabilities. So, you know, it's fascinating and it'll be interesting for us to follow your career and see 
you know, how it grows and morphs and, you know, and what you find works best for you and everything's not the same. And that's why I love doing the podcast and interviewing different people because everybody comes to the table with something different. And, you know, we learn from each other and you hear different personalities and what works for someone. And so I love that and, and appreciate you sharing. And like I said, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that grows. But do you prefer working with buyers or sellers? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. I like both for different reasons. I tend to, my business is kind of funny. I'm still at about, honestly, probably like 75% buyers. So that's one thing that I have not, I don't feel like I've yet transitioned to being like a, a list, a listing agent. I, I'm good. Every listing I get, I feel like I service my clients well, but you know, most of my clients, I'd say about 80% of them are first time home buyers. So they're, they're not selling. They don't have anything to list. So, so right. it, I'm very like buyer focused. However, that is something that I'm looking to kind of shift into like more of a 50-50 balance because I've found that that's what's kind of exhausting me. <laughs> I love buyers. I really do. There's nothing better than helping somebody buy their first home or, you know, it, it's so much fun. And it, in my mind, it's actually like a little bit less stressful than when you have a house that won't sell and your sellers are getting upset and that sellers are a lot more stressful. However, buyers take a lot more time. And so I've found, you know, in order to grow my business to to where I want it to be, I have to be able to shift to more sellers because the buyers, I haven't actually like sat down and calculated out like my average hours spent, but like the dollar return is a lot more on a seller, if that makes sense. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. You just can't, you know, sometimes you'll have a buyer and it's awesome and you show them seven houses and they pick one and it's good to go. Everything goes smoothly. But like, I've also had the, you know, people who want to see 50 or 60 homes all over (laughs) Ohio. And it's like, no, all of a sudden I'm making $5 an hour. It's like, it's just not worth it. So yeah, definitely. That's been something I have been trying to focus on getting more listings, but you know, I'm always so impressed and amazed by people who are big time listing agents because I'm like, man, I can't wait until like that's me someday and I can. Yeah. I mean, obviously listings are a lot of work, the prep work that goes into it, but it's, um, you know, a little bit less time consuming when you're not running around with buyers all the time. Absolutely. Is that a goal that you have really is to kind of to shift a little more to yeah, that? For sure. Yeah. My goal this year was to be more 50 50. I'm not quite there just because, like I said, I, I have a ton of it's like all first time home buyers is my market basically and mm-hmm. I love that and like I don't want to I don't want to lose that because the first time home buyer market is like so key because you know being my age and I can get in with a couple when they are 28 and they're buying their first house and they're getting married and we have a good experience well all of a sudden then in 5 years when they're starting a family you sell their house they buy a new one and then it's like okay all of a sudden you have more sales so it's like more of like a long-term business plan. So I don't want to sure. work that first-time home buyer market because that's what, in my mind, is going to set me up for success like five to 10 years from now. Absolutely. You're investing in your future by working with these first-time home buyers. How are you staying connected to them and so that they're going to remember you five years from now when they're ready to upgrade? So I do a lot. Like I said, I do a lot on social media. Most of my clients follow me and... I'm pretty active on that. Like I post a lot about my business, but then I, I also like to see what my clients are up to. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how happy it makes me when I see people like posting about how much they love their house or I see their kids running around their backyard. And I'm like, I don't know. It just feels so good to know that you help them find the place that they call home. And like, I have people text me all the time. 
thank you so much. Like we love our house. Like this is, this means so much to our family. And like, that's why I do what I do. Cause it just is the coolest feeling in the world to give somebody a home. So I, I do try to like stay really active on social media, just like keeping up with people's lives. I like to know what people are doing and commenting and messaging people. I, I'm very into like, I just will, you know, randomly text people if I'm thinking about them. A lot of agents I know are really into like the calling, like the, like, the, I feel like that's kind of like an old school real estate tactic to just like, you know, the people say you're supposed to do like 10 daily calls a day. I don't really do that, but I, I do a lot of just keeping in touch with people through texting, social media. And then I do a lot of just like random Popeyes with gifts or like during quarantine, I had this girl, she was just like a local baker. She baked a bunch of cookies and just like delivered them to people's houses for me. Just people who are stuck at home with their kids or like every year I do pumpkin pies for Thanksgiving for all my people who've bought within the last year. Yeah, I, I do try to do like little gifts here and there and just try to stay in touch with people that way. That's really neat. I love that. Yeah, it's so funny to think about picking up the phone and calling people. I, I mean, it's like years from now, we'll be telling our kids, you know, we actually used to pick up a phone and call people and have a conversation. <laughs> it seems so antiquated. But not to say I don't do it. I, I really do. But it's just like on a day to day basis to be able to like keep face with people. It's so much easier for me to just shoot a text and be like, like saw that picture of you guys on vacation. Like, hope you had a great time. It's just, you know what I mean? It, well, it, yeah. You, and you're communicating. And in truth, your market, they prefer to communicate that way. Yeah. So that totally yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I love that. How do you educate those first-time homebuyers? Or do you feel like there's anything that you're doing different with a first-time homebuyer than you would do with, you know, a middle-aged family that this is the third or fourth home that they bought? Well, the one thing I try to always do, and I haven't been able to do as much with COVID is like a buyer consultation. Ideally, I, I like to meet in person and go over, you know, what they're looking for, how the pre-approval process works. And I like to actually walk through the timeline of, okay, what happens when we're looking and we write an offer and then we have the inspection and the appraisal, because that's what really makes first-time homebuyers head spins. They, they don't understand the timeline, the process. They, they don't understand like the steps to get they just want to know like, okay, when do I get my keys and how do I make sure that, that this is going to work out? So I do, I've been just been doing it over the phone now just because I haven't really been able to meet people in person, which is a bummer because I love to do that. But I, I really, really am like very focused on education with my buyers. And the other thing is I always, you know, since I started doing this, I've always attended my home inspections. I thought everybody did that. I didn't realize like some agents don't do that, but I have learned so much from the home inspectors who I've been working with for the past couple of years. And I've, I'm not a home inspector, but I, I can pick out a lot about a house now. So like when I walk through with my buyers, I always give first time home buyers, like the first house we look at kind of the same speech because most of the homes in my market are built in like the 1920s. So most of these are going to be hundred year old houses. So I try to set the expectation Hey, here's the things we look for in an old house. Here are the big ticket items, windows, roof, concrete, structure. I like to try to get them to understand like, okay, how much does a furnace cost? How much does, you know, if you have like a structural problem, what do we do with that? And really like setting the expectation because I found if I can point out these things, you know, before we're under contract and the home inspection, then it's a lot. It softens the blow a little bit when we get to that because the homes in my market are so old and we come across, I mean, you have really old electrical, you have original plumbing lines, and it's just like we have so many 
problems with because they're old houses. And, you know, we just want to make sure that they feel comfortable moving forward with the purchase. And I really found like educating them from the time they step into that first showing. I, it's so funny because now I can see people who I've been working with for a couple of months and like I've pointed all this stuff out. Now we go through the houses and they're like, oh, windows look good. Do you have, what do you think the roof is? And they can like point everything out now. And I'm like, yes, yeah, I've taught you well. <laughs> right. That's, and, but you know, I know sellers agents that work with you love that and, and sellers do because, you know, you hate it when you get these nitpicky buyers that were so unprepared for an inspection that, you know, I, I would always, when I was in real estate, I would always tell them, now remember, they came in to find anything and everything wrong with the house. So, you know, to be paranoid by this report that you're getting. So I think that's a very smart. How much do you feel like you're influencing your buyer on in their decision of which particular property that they're going to buy? I mean, are you really kind of influencing them in, to some degree? Well, it depends because I have some clients who, <laughs> I hate to say it, basically will do like anything I say. I think some people like want me to make the decision for them. Sure. Um, but I would never lead someone astray. I mean, I would basically say, here are the facts. Here, I feel like everything checks out and it matches your criteria. And they're like, okay. But then I have some people who kind of, sometimes, unfortunately, people kind of just have to like, I hate to say like, take what you can get. But like, I have clients who will write five, six offers sometimes. Our market in Cleveland is very, very competitive right now. And so unfortunately, I have people sometimes who maybe have to settle for something that is not 100% what they're looking for. But I try to tell them like, if as long as it's like 85% what you want, it's not going to be a perfect house, but it needs to be at least like 85% or be at a price point where you can update things. Unfortunately, sometimes people just, a house will go on the market and it'll be picture perfect. It'll be at the right price point. And like there was one the other day, I my clients, I felt so bad for them. They loved this house and there was 20 offers on it. So oh. You know, at some point you have to kind of just decide, okay, is does this match most of what my criteria is and can I even get it? So unfortunately now, you know, I, I do try to always guide my clients, but it, uh, the market is really dictating all of that right now because it's, can I even get you under contract? Yeah, yeah that's so tough. It's crazy. So, I mean, how yeah. are you dealing with these buyers and how are you advising them in this crazy market where there might be 20 offers on a on a property? So you kind of just do everything you can do as far. So let's say, you know, a situation like that, the house is perfect. They love it. It's priced right. But all of a sudden you're looking at something that is priced right, but now it might go $15,000, $20,000 over and, and then the appraisal might not come up, right? And then you have to bring extra cash to close the appraisal bridge. And all of a sudden you're paying all this money more than what the house is worth. So, you know, again, it's setting the expectation, like how much do you love this house? I mean, if if I have somebody who is so in love with the house, they'll be like, I'll pay whatever it is. I'll bridge the appraisal. Great. Let's do it. We'll do everything we can. But my experience has been, it's all about the terms and the offers. Obviously price is the biggest one, but you know, I don't really encourage people to waive inspections. I don't think that's a good tactic unless of course, you know, maybe they're a seasoned investor and they're going to do it, flip everything anyways. But like a first time home buyer, I would always caution against that. So and unfortunately, that is a tactic a lot of people are using right now. And it's, I mean, it's very difficult to compete with that because how can you compare an offer? They're both $15,000 over, but one person's waiving the inspection and one person's not. It's like, well, maybe that wasn't the right fit. But 
but yeah, definitely always accommodating um, what the seller's closing timeline is, if we can help that. Um, I've had a lot of success in competitive situations with buyer letters, having people, you know, just tell a little bit about their story and what the house means to them and kind of what they've been looking for. And just to, I always try to like personalize it. And then another thing I always do is like, if I have a showing and my buyers are beaming and I can see that they're going to want to write an offer, I immediately in the car ride home, call the agent, the listing agent, because like, I know for me, when I have a listing and I have two offers that are similar, and one agent has called me and introduced themselves and told me about their clients and the other agent just shot it into my inbox. Like, I know who I'm going to push my buyer or my sellers to accept the offer from. Like, so I've found a lot of success by being just personable with the other agents and kind of just knowing, hey, I'm a good, strong partner to work with and I will do everything I can to make this a smooth transaction because, I mean, you know as well as I do, it's really tough when you have a bad agent on the other side. (laughs) So I just try to show, you know, I answer my phone and I am able to be reached and I will communicate with you throughout the transaction and at least make your life a little bit easier so that maybe if it does come down to the terms are all the same, Sometimes like if you get a better vibe from somebody when you're a listing agent, you will obviously push your clients to accept that one. Absolutely. It's really interesting because I I have an interview on another podcast and we were talking that one of the other episodes on this podcast, but I was talking with an agent about the fact of just how do you deal with these nasty agents? And, (laughs) you know, it's so unbelievable that Some agents are just so difficult to work with and you kind of want to educate buyers and sellers like, do you realize how much better it will be to work with me as a good agent because your other agents are more prone to work with me? And yeah, I was saying on one of the other episodes that, you know, I remember back forever ago when I was in real estate and there was an agent, I would never show her listings because I just knew she was the hardest person to work with. And but do you have any, you know, things that you do, particularly when you do have to work with that very unpleasant agent? (laughs) Well, number one, I've definitely experienced being like a young female in the industry. And I'm sure you experienced this as well when you were in it. It doesn't happen often, but I've definitely like been talked down to before. And mm-hmm. now I'm at the point, like actually next week, I'm about to close my hundredth sale. So I'm like, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I, I'm not going to have somebody <laughs> tell me something differently. And so I've really learned to like stick up for myself. That used to be really hard for me because, you know, when you're newer, you're still learning and, and you're just not sure. So I've found with, with these agents, sometimes they'll, they'll, um, they'll fight me on things. And you know what? Like, that's why you have a contract because a contract doesn't lie. And it right. completely lays out exactly like what our guidelines for the transaction are. And yeah, I've kind of learned to just, if I can just stick to the contract and use that as like my protection, basically, then it's, it, it's definitely a good tool to do that. And, you know, I just try to be as pleasant as possible. I mean, if somebody's going to be rude about things, it's it, it's black and white scenarios. That's kind of the way I look at it. I've kind of become numb to, you know, I used to get really upset when like a deal will, would fall through or another agent like was mean to me. And now it's just like, okay, you know what? On to the next. Or here's the situation. The house needs $10,000 worth of repairs and we can either make the deal work or we can walk away. And it's it's black and white. So, you know, I'm always under the impression like kill them with kindness. I, I think that's kind of like always been my motto. But like kindness isn't weakness. You can still be a strong person and run your business 
Um, Absolutely. But yeah, but obviously like treat everybody fairly. Right. What do you think sets you apart from other agents in your area? (laughs) Good question. Let's say I have a really good like network of people. So I live in Cleveland. I grew up kind of closer to Akron in Hudson area, but I went to school on the east side of Cleveland at John Carroll. So I have a very large network of people I went to college with, I went to high school with, and people that I know just within the Lakewood community. So I think, you know, real estate is a lot about your personality and I'm very social. Like I, I just, I've always been that way. I know a lot of people and I connect with people, um, pretty easily. And so I think that's kind of been like my, a lot of my success is just, you know, having my sphere of influence be in so many different areas because of just where my life has led me. And, um, just honestly, it's sometimes it's all about numbers. Just like the more people, you know, the more business you have, you know, the more people who are going to refer you. So I think that's been a lot of my success. But the other thing is like, I know for a fact that I really take care of my clients I always, if there is something that they're unhappy about, like post close or at, you know, right before closing or with the inspection, if we can't make things work, I very often like come to the table at like with my own money, cut my commission. I mean, not always, I don't like to get into the habit of doing that, but if there's something and it's like, if we're fighting over $300, like, okay, this is stupid. Let me just take care of this and let's move on. Like I will always take care of my clients to make sure that they don't have a bad taste in their mouth and that we can move forward and that they are excited about the house and not stressed out. So, you know, because in the scheme of things, like if you're covering somebody's, uh, like their furnace being serviced, I've had that happen before. Like, okay, I'll just pay for it and we can all move on and be happy and we can close the transaction. Like it's drops in the bucket at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When you're negotiating a contract, do you very often take part of your commission out to make a deal work? No, that I don't do because I don't... I've had to do that like maybe twice on the listing side. If I have a seller who like has owned the house for like a year and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you see that proceeds, it's like they have no equity in the house. I will absolutely do that to help somebody out of a bad situation, but not very often. Typically like when that happens is like with the inspection or we get to close and all of a sudden there's an issue. And so, but honestly, from the get-go, no, I, I don't cut my commission from the start. Yeah. I had an experience when I was first in real estate, you know, yeah. many, many years ago, but I did. I cut my commission one time and I had, I literally had a seller laugh at me when I, after, right after I agreed to it. So have you ever, an offer and acceptance comes in, have you ever had to often cut your commission to just make a deal work? So I definitely try not to do that. I've had the situation before where maybe somebody who you sold a house to has to list it and they've only been there for a year or they don't have enough equity in the house to to really sell the house. And you know, sometimes to try to help somebody out of a bad situation, I will do that. But I really try not to do that from the start. Because, you know, we work hard and we earn that commission. And really, like when I do end up taking cuts, it's typically near the end of the transaction when we've already put all this work into it. And maybe there's something small that's holding things up and causing tension in the transaction or, you know, causing my clients to be unhappy. And I'll just take care of it for them. Yeah. I've bought plenty of refrigerators before (laughs) (laughs) to make people happy. But yes, but I I agree. It's, you know, it's not something you want to get into the practice of doing and not, but 
I will say like, I have had the people who I've come to the table with. And usually it's like, I mean, it's like a couple hundred dollars typically. Like I've done a lot of um, like plumbing camera scopes and, (laughs) you know, like extra things that the seller doesn't want to pay for. It's like, you know what, I'll just do it to give you peace of mind. And then they're happy. But yeah, I don't like to make a habit of it because like I said, we work hard to to make it work. But at the same time, if I can make somebody happy and then they refer me to their friend and get, I get another sale, then it's worth it. Absolutely. And, you know, and I often ask these questions just because you've got newer agents that are new to the business and, you know, they don't know how to handle yeah. those kind of scenarios sometimes. And so it's good to hear how other people handle situations like that. Do you have any advice that you would share with somebody that's newer to the business? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, when I started off, I didn't really make money for like six months. And and that was my sole source of income. So it was hard. I think the biggest thing somebody told me when I started is outlast the curve. And so you kind of just... Mm. You see all these people and I hate to say it, like I remember when I took my real estate classes and I'm like, man, are all these people really going to be agents? And like, it was just, you know, that's one class. So you have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people every month taking this test and, you know, not everybody finds success and not everybody even sells a house who gets their real estate license or takes the class. So I think the biggest thing is outlast the curve because all of a sudden you've had your license for five years and you've been actively selling houses, even if it's three to five houses a year, you still have experience. So I think, you know, if you can just LS the curve and and get the experience, then that will ultimately lead to people recognizing you as being in the business. And I, I really think that's how you grow your business. But it's really tough. I don't I don't envy that at all. Starting off is so hard, especially when it's you know, your main source of income and it's unpredictable. And then you have to figure out how to pay taxes. It's just like, it's so hard. (laughs) Yes. And you're not just selling real estate. You've become an entrepreneur that has to know a lot about a lot of different things. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that when they get into real estate, like all of a sudden you are an independent contractor and you have to, you know, I'm, I'm not married. So I had to like, get my own health insurance because I all of a sudden don't have an employer. You know, I just switch over my 401k to, a, to an IRA. It's like all these things that you don't know how to do. You have to just kind of figure it out on the fly because you've completely changed your career path. Yeah, that's so true. And you're a marketing expert and, yeah. you know, yes, there's so many things and learning to manage your time. How did you learn? I mean, you know, we all know that have taking a real estate test, you did not get educated about selling real estate, taking a real estate test for a license. So, I mean, how did you really learn the business? Well, a couple of different ways. So number one, my brokerage, so I work for Howard Hanna and we have office managers. So she really kind of led me through my first couple of transactions and helped me write my first offer and really kind of oversaw my first couple of deals and like was there to answer any questions. But you know what, like the negotiating tactics and like getting through the inspections and like the really difficult part of things and and really like the business side of things too. I mean, it really does just come from experience. Once you do it like 50 times, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I I get this. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the inspections thing too, just sitting through the inspections, reading through appraisals, like all these things that, you know, stepping stones of a transaction, just making sure like I understand every single part of it, reading over my the settlement statements for my clients and making sure I understand that. And like, even, you know, in Ohio, we typically don't go to our closings. I know 
other states are different, but like I definitely sat through, you know, a dozen closings or so just to see how the escrow officer handled things, how they explained things. So I think just knowing like every single part of the transaction and the timeline is really, really important. Mm, Yeah, that's awesome. And I completely agree. Things are, you know, so different from when I was first in real estate. And, you know, we pre-qualified our buyers. We didn't send them to the mortgage company. You know, it's just things are so different. But but you've got to have knowledge. And do you ever feel, because you are younger, and I mean, you hinted on that a little bit ago, but how do you feel the buyers and sellers receive you being the age that you are? Well, now I don't feel like it holds me up at all because I have enough experience to kind of impress them with my knowledge. But that confidence didn't really come until the last year. I still was a little bit unsure of myself. And I always felt like if I was going into a competitive listing situation and there was, you know, the woman who's been doing it for 25 years and has all this experience and then there's me, like they're going to pick her. But um, you know what? It doesn't, I, I don't really think it deters anybody anymore because when you have knowledge and like facts and figures and and you understand how to best service your clients. It's really about like how you present yourself and having the confidence to, you know, to present yourself in a professional way. So no, I don't really think it holds me back anymore with buyers and sellers. Yeah. You've had all this success, Haley. I'm sure there have been times you've been discouraged. And is there anything, (laughs) you know, have you ever just been felt like you were at the bottom and, you know, would you want to share about that or just tell how did you, work through that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Actually I had probably my lowest point in my career about like two or three months ago. It was like, like right during all this, all of COVID I had been working during quarantine, like wearing my mask, doing hand sanitizer, putting myself at risk. Cause like, like I said, like I have to support myself. It's, it's just me. So I, you know, I have to make a living. So I was like, I had a lot of agents in my brokerage who just stopped working because they have a spouse or somebody who can, you know, obviously they have a salary job, but I didn't have that luxury. So I'd been working really, really hard for like the whole first month of quarantine. Like I said, putting, you know, putting myself at risk, but being around people when everybody else was at home. And I just, was, you know, I had actually like a lot of deals going on. And then one day in one afternoon, I had four deals fall through and (laughs) potentially two others. I saved two. So there was six deals within a matter of hours. I was just like phone call after phone call. And I was like, what is going on? And I I think that was the first time I ever cried about my job. (laughs) It's like, it hadn't happened yet. And then it happened. And I'm like, okay, well, at least it took this long. That's, That's pretty good. So yeah, that was definitely like a very low point. So I was able to come back from it, of course. So like I called my mom, cried. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, you know, just like one thing at a time. And if if a buyer's, if the deals fall through, then, you know, find them another house or, you know, they've lost their job with COVID. Obviously you can't do anything about that. That's not their fault. So that was really hard. But then, but then like the next month, things got better and I sold $2 million worth of real estate. So it's like... It, oh, wow. In one month. That's amazing. Thank you. It all worked out. But it was like, I went from being like rock bottom and I like I truly, I think at that point, then I had only like two deals left in escrow. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm not going to have a paycheck. And, <laughs> and then it was like, boom, boom, boom. And everything else worked out. So yeah, those low points are... It definitely happens to me, especially my first couple 
my first two years, I would get on like a really good wave for a couple months. And then I would like go to my manager and be like, I have nothing. And then it would same thing again, I'd be so busy. And then all of a sudden, like you close everything. And if you don't keep clients in the pipeline, it's like, oh, shoot, I had to go back to prospecting. And like the whole cycle starts all over again. So yeah, the low points are definitely like, this job is very emotional. And it's not like I always tell people who like I said, I like talk to a lot of people who are looking to get into the business and I'm like, just be prepared. Like it's, you don't necessarily like ever feel, I, I guess now I feel like more financially secure because I have more savings, but like, it's, I mean, it's all over the place. I think there's times when I'll get 10 paychecks in a month and times when I won't go in for three months. So it's just mm-hmm. like, depending on where your business is or the seasonality of it, you just have to be really good at saving money. So yeah. Yeah, definitely definitely some low points for sure. Having that discipline and and not going and spending all of a paycheck. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. and and I have to say, I mean in our market you said you had a 2 million dollar month. Yeah. That's what you said, right? I mean, it, those are probably not 2 million dollar listings cuz I kind of am oh, familiar. No. That's yeah. like eight deals. So it's a lot to yeah. keep together. It's hard. (laughs) That's awesome though. Do you know about what your average sales price is? So actually that is kind of the funniest thing. So it's low. It's about last year when I did it, it was about 175. My first year it was 150. Now it's closer to 200. So I always say my career is still quantity over quality at this point. Um, But you know what? That's, I love it. And it's so encouraging. And and listen, I am not 85 years old, but when I got into real estate, I mean, I was selling 30 and $40,000 houses. And I remember when I sold my first house over $100,000 and I was elated. And, you know, so I, I get it. I mean, I think it's, it's incredible you're working really hard for your money. And- yeah. yeah. And I people always ask me, I think they think my job is like maybe more glamorous than it is. Like, what's the most expensive house you've ever sold? I'm like, 400000 Like, it's not it's not that high. It, I mean, a $400,000 house, is, it's expensive. It's beautiful. But like most of the houses I sell are $200,000 starter homes. And it's you know, that's where my business is at. And I don't need to be like a luxury agent right now. I mean, I'm sure that would be really nice, but like someday I'm sure maybe I'll be closer to that. But right now it's, um, you know, that's, it's a hustle. It definitely is a hustle. Yeah. <laughs> but Hey girl, as those first time home buyers keep upgrading and they will, and you keep that relationship with them. I mean, you're going to see that number change and that's going to be yeah. exciting to follow. So I love it. I think it's incredible. And you're young, so you can work harder for your money. You're going to be glad that they upgrade to more expensive houses because you're going to be more tired the older you get. So. Yeah, I know. yeah. Well, and that's what I keep thinking. I'm, you know, now at the point, like I want to have a family someday, like, okay, how do I do less but make the same amount of money? And really like it's, it's listings and it's higher price points. So mm-hmm you know, that's why like I have started to like have someone who helps me with my showings. And like, that's why the, the team thing is so intriguing to me. Cause I'm like, okay, how do I get to a point where like, I can still have all these connections and have these clients, but I can have people running buyers and oversee everything. And then I get to be home with my kids having dinner every night. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? That's the goal. Yes. Yeah. And that was kind of my next question. I mean, what are your goals and what do you want things to look like down the road? Yeah, definitely. So like I, 
like I said, I mean, I want a family. I want to be able to have more of like a work-life balance because right now my business, it is such a hustle. And like, there's a lot of nights I'm on my computer until 11 PM doing paperwork. And that's not always fun, but it is worth it. So I am really trying to kind of create a little bit more of a work-life balance because if I don't, I'll just work, work, work all day, every day. It's like, there's times where I haven't taken a day off in a whole month and that's not very healthy. Yeah. You know, you work hard, you can play hard too. So I definitely am getting to the point where I'm, you know, trying to think about maybe starting a team or I also like want to help newer agents find success because I was really lucky. I had a, a very good mentor who helped me and I feel like this is such a great field and, you know, a desk job isn't for everybody in this market really gives somebody who is kind of like a social butterfly, but also has a business mindset. It gives you an opportunity to really have like an endless income potential. And that's what's very exciting. So I think mentoring and helping people grow their business would be a big goal of mine. But, um, you know, I really like as far as like a volume goal, like 10 million would definitely be like my next big goal. Right now I'm on target to do, well, we'll see how the end of the year happens. But right now, hopefully 9 million is where I'll be at. So 10 is like, if I can, if I could get over 10, I'd be like, wow, that would be amazing. That's going to happen, girl. I hope. What, how many transactions is that? Because, you know, I know, you know, we have our California, Washington State people and, you know, their average deals well over a million. So that doesn't sound like so much, but I mean, that's a lot of transactions, I'm sure. Oh, it's like over 50. Yeah. yeah. So it's really, that's the hardest part is like I said, because my price point is so much lower, it's facilitating. I mean, you know, I think right now I have maybe 12 deals in escrow. And so like, sometimes that becomes very overwhelming. It's like, oh my gosh, did I miss a step? Did someone not get an appraisal? Did I forget to send an ROC? Like that's the struggle is like the quantity trying to, and I know, and it's crazy because I know people who do a hundred a year. I don't know how they do it, but like 50 is, that would be my goal for this year. And that would be a lot. Yeah. And especially because the majority of those are buyers. And like you said, yeah. those take a lot, a lot more time and effort and work. Yeah. So that's awesome. I just love hearing about your success and what you've accomplished in such a short amount of time and as young as you are. And it really is exciting. And what do you learn from? I mean, what books are you reading? What's your favorite podcast? I mean, share that with us. I feel like I'm not. You don't have time, right? (laughs) I honestly don't have time. Oh my God. I like, I I do like to read, but I don't necessarily read nonfiction. I read like fiction, like murder books and stuff. So, you know, that's actually something I should really be better at is the educational materials. I'm not necessarily the best person to ask that. You're busy working. Hey, I get it. And there's nothing wrong with your reading for enjoyment. So that's okay. I mean, later you can say my favorite podcast is Real Estate Masters. I'll give you a pass on that one. Haley, it has been so awesome. You know, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you just wanted to say or share? I don't think so. I think, like I said, I mean, my advice to people is like, it's so hard starting in this business, but I truly believe like what you put into it is what you get out. And if you work hard and you hustle and you are good to people and treat your clients fairly, it will, it will 
be beneficial for you in the long run. I always say like my business model is an exponential curve. It started off really small and then all of a sudden it's like really started to take off. And now the hope is that it'll kind of just run itself in the next couple of years with referrals. So yeah, don't, don't give up. Yeah. And I believe that it will. And I will look forward to us circling around maybe one, two years and, and seeing really where you're at at that point. And I think it'll be an exciting journey for us to follow and, and see how it all works out. And yeah. I know if our listeners have a referral to send to Cleveland, Ohio, that they're going to be sure to look you up because it's obvious you're a hard worker and a joy and pleasure to be with. So I thank you so much just for taking this time to invest in others and to give back. So thanks, Haley. Of course. Thank you. I appreciate it. Didn't you enjoy hearing from Haley? Such a delightful young lady that has just got a booming business. It's unbelievable what she's doing, all of the uh, properties in escrow, all the transactions that she'll do this year. Um, exciting to see how she is really being blessed in her business and working so hard. I cannot wait for you to hear the next episode. I'm interviewing Andrea Bloom. She's out of Toronto, Canada. She's top 1% of agents in that area. She works her business from such a different strategy than anyone that I've heard from. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. And I mean it. If you only listen to one of these podcasts. You have to hear the interview that I've done with Andrea Bloom. Here's just a little snippet of that. I keep going back for them to their motivation. That's pretty much the conversation goes back over and over again between price versus motivation, price versus motivation. And in this way, it, it kind of close them into accepting the price. All right. So make sure that you have subscribed to our podcast. It is so important that you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You'll want to be sure that uh, you hear every single one because there's just such variety in every guest and hearing how they work and just getting different ideas. I've got an upcoming episode that I can't wait for you to hear from um, a more seasoned agent that is close to retirement and how he has really worked his business such a smart way financially. And he really shares some advice to agents about how they can really be prepared for retirement and their future in that regard. So that's with uh, Rob Levy, and that will be coming up in future episodes. So just don't forget, subscribe, leave us some good feedback. Please review the podcast. It just helps us out so much. I appreciate you. I realize that you're taking time out to listen and letting us be a part of your career. And I appreciate that so very much because I know time is limited. Also, let me just encourage you, if you work as a team, you know I'm an executive coach. I work with teams. I work with individuals. I do team imprint workshops, helping your team work well together and function well in a very healthy way and understanding how the people on the other side of the team work and how they think. So it's just a great workshop. I would love uh, to talk with you further. If you'd have some interest in that, I can share more information with you. And also, I as well do one-on-one coaching. I host mastermind groups, which is one of my favorite things to do, putting 12 people on a Zoom call that are all in real estate and letting them share their challenges, their ideas, encourage one another. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, please get in contact with me. My website is coachaprilmac.com. That's Mac with a K on the end, coachaprilmac, M-A-C-K, 
www.thecoachingcoach.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Be sure that you catch our next episode. Stay encouraged. I know these are some booming times for most of the real estate markets around the country. So just work hard, work smart, but make sure you take time for yourself. Enjoy your family, your friends, the people that you love, and be blessed, my friends. Stay encouraged. See you on the next episode.